turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there is one that we've provided for you. It's in the, it's in the uh, uh, back of the seat in front of you. And um, in those Bibles, those blue Bibles, we're going to be on page 471 this morning. So if you'd like to look there with us, uh, you can do that. And if you don't have a Bible, take that with you. We want you to have that. It's our gift to you. Uh, but, but page 471 this morning, and uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and this is what we read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, as he did, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. You may be seated. Well, I want to say to you this morning, men... Happy Father's Day. Yeah, give him a hand. Guys, you need to hear that we are very, very proud of you. Words absolutely cannot express to you how vital you are to the health and the survival of your families. And you need to know that. Where you are present and where you're engaged, wives and children flourish. And where you're absent and where you're aloof, those same families, those same wives, those same children suffer deeply. But contrary to what Hollywood says and the way that they try to portray you, portray you, you are absolutely not a buffoon. Listen to me. You're not a buffoon. You're a rock. You, no matter how you're painted by the secular world, You're not a punchline. You're a warrior. You're not an accessory to your family. You, my friend, are the load-bearing wall in your family. The dad's job, speaking from experience, is tough. The dad has to provide equal parts strength and tenderness in his home. He has to valiantly stand up to any threats that come against his family, spiritual threats, emotional threats, physical threats, financial threats. You have to teach your sons how to be men, and you have to teach your daughters how to be treated by other men in your life, in their life rather. A dad needs to be a no-nonsense disciplinarian, while at the same time he needs to be a fountain of laughter in good times. It's a tightrope he has to walk. He's the one the kids don't want to face when they cross the line. Amen? But at the same time, he's the one that can always be counted on for a wrestling match or a dance 
or a tickle fight or an awkward game of pull my finger. (laughs) Few, few who aren't fathers understand the insecurities that haunt us all. There's none of us that are exempt from that. I'm talking about the desires in us that sometimes go unexpressed or even unfulfilled. We all want it to guide our children well. We want to see them succeed. But we often shudder if we're honest because we feel so ill-prepared to give them what they need to come out on top. But today... Even though every dad in here has had a past year that has been filled with exhilarating successes and crushing defeats, I want you to know that Northridge Life Church is unashamedly pro-dad. We are a pro-dad church. There are not going to be any cats in the cradle messages this morning. I promise you that. But we're behind you, dads. We are absolutely 100% behind you. We're praying for you. Whatever it takes, we believe in you. Have you ever thought about the fact, I I don't know that I'd ever really deeply pondered this until this week, but have you ever thought about the fact that when Christ came to earth to save us, when he came in the incarnation, that he would need a dad? Did you ever think about that? Now, obviously, Jesus had a father. God was his father. But if he were to take on flesh, completely experience humanity, to become fully human and to dwell among us, he would need an earthly dad. That's a mind-blowing thought to me. That was part of God's plan for him to have a dad. This was always a part of God's eternal plan. It wasn't just some coincidence or some fluke. God doesn't deal in coincidences or flukes. Listen to the scripture from Isaiah chapter 49. It says, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. What does that mean? He knows everything that's going to happen. Nothing is outside of his view. Nothing is by chance. And and from ancient times, things not done is what not yet done is what he understands. He says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So what does that mean? It means that when God in his plan for salvation determined that Jesus would need a father, he didn't hold tryouts. He didn't hope that someone would be available to perform this important task. On the contrary, this means that he created and appointed Joseph for the express purpose of fathering himself. That's crazy. That's insane. He, he picked Joseph to father himself during the incarnation. If you're not picking up on what I'm saying, Jesus picked his own father. Crazy. According to our text this morning that we read, as I mentioned, that high honor fell to a blue-collar carpenter named Joseph from a tiny little town in Nazareth in northern Israel. He wasn't a king, wasn't even a priest, certainly wasn't a rich man, but God said, He's the one. That's the one I want. Now listen, it's going to get a little freakier. The exact same God that handpicked Joseph to be Christ's earthly father handpicked you to be your kid's dad. Now listen to me, dad. God picked you. Before the foundation of the earth, the one that declares the beginning from the end, picked 
you to be your kid's dad. God is sovereign, and your kids aren't yours by some cosmic accident. God planned them, and then he put them under your care, and no one else is equipped uniquely as you are or called to raise them. And that's why broken families, when families break down, that's why it's so tragic So here's what I say to all of you dads this morning. If you're married, stay put, please stay put. It's worth it. Whatever it costs you, whatever the the challenges are to that, stay put. If you're a divorced dad this morning, I know sometimes things don't work out, but whatever your situation is, please, please don't unplug from raising your kids. Don't do it. God picked you to raise them. Provide for them. Protect them. He'll never fire you. He'll never replace you. But he will always help you. He will. So back to the story. How overwhelmed would you have been to discover that you were God's choice to be the father of Jesus? You think you're overwhelmed by parenting now. Parenting Jesus would have been a real interesting thing. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And I heard a man say one time, can you imagine Jesus obviously being the oldest? Can you imagine following Jesus in school? That would have been terrible. Your teachers would have always invariably said, hey, stop acting like that. You ought to be more like Jesus. But the good thing is you could fire back, hey, lady, you ought to be more like Jesus. So it would would actually work in your favor. What, how overwhelmed would you have been to, to discover that you were going to father Jesus? How, how do you think Joseph felt? I want to look at some of the qualities that God might have placed in Joseph and see if we can learn from his example. And trust, it's not just looking at Joseph as some gold medal dad, but to look at him and go, man, God, I believe if you can do that in Joseph because you called him to raise Jesus, you can do that in me because you called me to raise my kids. If you're looking at the scripture, the first thing you're going to notice about Joseph is that you're going to find very, very little information about him. There's not a whole lot in the Bible about him at all. His name only shows up 14 times in the New Testament. Two of those times are in genealogies. Three of those times are past tense references later in the story to Jesus' family. And the last nine of these accounts are found closely bundled together in the accounts of Jesus' birth and childhood in Matthew and Luke. By contrast, Mary is a rock star. She is mentioned everywhere in the New Testament. She's actually mentioned multiple times throughout the life of Christ. She was even present at the cross during the crucifixion. Everyone knows about Mary. Songs are written about her and sung at Christmas, but not so for Joseph. This shows us something about the kind of man that Joseph was. He was faithful even when he was serving in humble obscurity. Without any accolades, without any spotlights on him, he was serving in humble obscurity. The Bible is clear that the husband and the father is the divinely ordered head of the house. That's as biblical as anything can be. But that doesn't mean by being divinely authorized to be the head of the house, that doesn't mean that he's authorized to huff and puff and demand his way and expect to be honored, feared, and revered. Not what that means at all. 
Jesus made that clear when he said to his own disciples, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Watch this, talking to his disciples, not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Would it be safe to translate that? Let the father be like the child and the leader as one who serves. This is an important quality for dads. There's no other place that's better suited to demonstrate genuine servant leadership than in fatherhood. There's no place to do it. An insecure dad will waste just year and year after year pleading for his rights and maybe even leveraging his contributions like his hard work and his career um, for the family's welfare and demand respect from his wife and children. I'm the king of this castle. But a godly man, watch, a godly man will not demand respect. He will command respect by his quiet and self-sacrificing service for his family. That's what God's looking for in us. Dads, that's what God's looking for in us. If you feel like you're serving in obscurity and maybe you're getting the short end of the stick, like you're leading your family without a a lot of promise of reward or recognition, let me encourage you, just be faithful. Serve your family, that wife, those children, as unto the Lord, and lay down your life with joy. Because one day, I promise you this, the Bible promises you this, one day your reward will be great. The Bible says that you will hear your father say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, a little girl, a little boy. And I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There is no accolade that I want for my fathering more than that. Than to hear Jesus say, well done. Another thing we see in the life of Joseph is a description right out of the scripture that he was a just man. This is the Bible's description of him after he finds out that his young bride, who he's probably been engaged to for years at this point, those marriages were arranged, and so this probably happened for years, that he finds out at this point that she is pregnant. And this was a major outrage in ancient Israel. And the penalty for it was severe. In fact, let's go right to the Old Testament law and read what it says. Deuteronomy 22, 20, it says, But if the thing is true... That evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now understand what the implications of this are to the story of Jesus' birth. Joseph could have rounded Mary up, dragged her to the authorities, and had her executed for making a fool out of him. But this, thank God, was not his impulse. That was not his impulse at all. The Bible tells us that Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. And therefore he resolved to divorce her quietly. Not only would he let her keep her life, but he would not take any extraordinary steps to rid her of her dignity, giving mercy when she seemed to deserve 
wrath. To be just, it says he's a just man. To be just means to behave according to what is morally right and fair. Yes, I guarantee you that Joseph was devastated. Can you imagine being in that position? He was heartbroken. But even when he didn't know the real story behind Mary's pregnancy, he denied his own justifiable instincts to bring the hammer down, and he chose to extend mercy to her instead. What a guy. What a guy. Now listen to me. This talk of extending mercy could be confusing to some of you. I said that a dad has to be a no-nonsense disciplinarian. I know that you and I, dads, must discipline our kids. So showing mercy doesn't mean ignoring their sinful behavior. In fact, the Bible says, this is straight out of the Word of God, that if we don't discipline our kids, we hate them. Did you know that's in the scripture? It says, if you fail to discipline your children, you hate that child. Godly discipline is in fact a mercy because it teaches our kids how to live rightly and how to please God. So I'm not talking about just dismissing discipline. But when you discipline your kids, do you lose your temper and launch a scorched earth campaign? Or do you shame them for their foolishness? Or do you discipline them in a way that helps them to know that you love them and that you want the best for them? Do they feel like that they can make mistakes without losing the steadfast anchor of your love for them? And not because you say so, but because you've demonstrated it time after time after time. We can only respond to our kids this way, only respond to our kids this way, if we realize that we too are sinners. Any dads who are sinners here this morning? One or two of you, three or four? We can only respond to our kids this way if we remember that we're sinners and that we're prone to vile behavior and that we constantly need mercy. I cannot go five minutes without needing mercy. I can't. If we're swift with our justice in the home but loose with our own morals, I promise you that the hypocrisy of that will not be lost on your kids. I promise you that. Can I suggest... Some of you might not know, well, am I, too, am I too harsh? Am I too strict? Am I too whatever? Uh, let me clear this up for you. Really, just a suggestion. Can I suggest that you have an honest third-party conversation with your spouse, with your kids, about your discipline style? Swallow your pride and just ask. Now, you don't do it in the heat of the moment. Don't do it while you have a belt in your hand. Hey, am I disciplining too harshly? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... I'm talking about in a moment, in a cool-headed moment, have the conversation with your wife and kids. They may see some things clearly to which you are currently blind. That's just a suggestion. That's absolutely free. The next thing I want to observe from Joseph's life is that he was spiritually sensitive. Just as he was poised to put his fiance away for her apparent adultery. What do we got going on here? <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Is it a dove? <laughs> I thought I was, I was about to feel really affirmed right now. Cool. I'm glad it wasn't a bat or something. That would have made me feel exactly the opposite. All right. See, everyone wants to get in here and hear this good preaching. Everybody does. 
That, that's probably a male bird. It's probably a dad that needs to hear this. The next thing I want to observe from Joseph's life is that he was spiritually sensitive. Just as he was poised to put Mary away for her apparent adultery, we read that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. It's so cool that the, the angel addresses Joseph as the son of David. What he's saying, because Joseph would have known that David, the, the, the promised Messiah was going to come through David's line. And so the angel reminds him, he says, hey, you're a son of David. And so your son will be a son of David. And, and he, he reminds him of that. So it would add credibility to what he was hearing from the angel. But can you imagine, can you even imagine how different this story would have been if Joseph couldn't hear the voice of the Spirit? Can you imagine that? What if he had been too angry and too self-absorbed about what had just happened with Mary? What if he had been so depressed and so overwhelmed that he just vegged out in front of the TV or sunk to the bottom of some bottle? But God chose him. Listen to me. God chose him because he was a man that could hear his voice. His heart was tightly tuned to what the Lord was saying. When he had a dream of angels one night, he didn't blame it on silly superstitions or on last night's pizza. He was assured that he had heard God's will and he had to act accordingly. But his assurance that he had heard from God wasn't some sappy, sentimental pseudo-spiritualism, but rather he recognized that what he had heard lined up with what was written in the scriptures. It wasn't just some like, you know, weird, oh, I'm hearing voices here. This is, this is, he heard it because it was based in scripture. He said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our kids need spiritually sensitive dads who both pray, listen to me, who both pray and listen. We need to be the kind of dads that can pray and then listen, whose hearts are captivated by God's word. We can never figure out how to raise our children simply by following our own instincts. Amen, dads? We can never figure it out just by following our own instincts or or even by the example of the best of parents, as helpful as that is. What we need more than anything is the guiding voice of God's spirit and the foundation of the written word of God. Jesus said it best, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 10 says that all of Jesus' sheep hear his voice. This is encouragement to you. What I'm telling you is if you are a follower of Christ, that means you. And hearing his voice doesn't start with mystical whispers on the breeze, but with full reverence to the written word of God and giving your total attention to it. Gentlemen, if you will read this book, you will hear the voice of God on every single page. Hear me. This is how we hear the voice of God. This is where we hear what God's heart is and what his will is. 
Don't expect that your kids will ever feast on God or feast on his word unless you're sitting right next to them at the table, fork and knife in hand. Your job is not just to correct, but to demonstrate. It's not to demand, but to display. Treasure Christ and your kids will be much more likely to do the same. This brings us to the next thing about Joseph. He wasn't just sensitive to God's voice. He was obedient to God's voice. Big difference. When Joseph woke from sleep, the Bible says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. As dads, we're often stereotypically tasked with teaching our kids the fundamentals of sports. One of those fundamentals is that success is always in the follow-through, right? So it's playing baseball, tennis, golf, whatever. Success is always in the follow-through. And nowhere does this apply more than in the realm of our spiritual lives. It doesn't help to demand morality from our children, It won't help them if we just tell them about the value of church or the value of the Bible. If we're going to influence them and see them rooted in Christ, they must see that these things have been embraced by us first and that they're progressively transforming our lives. Your love and commitment to Christ will not transfer by osmosis. But when your kids see you obey Christ as Lord in the littlest of things, when they see you submit to spiritual authority, and when, then they are going to be more likely to hear you when you're encouraging them to follow Christ. But don't think you can tell them not to lie, only to have them see you lie to cops, lie to your boss, lie to their teachers, lie to your friends, and think that they'll give you a pass or simply not notice. You couldn't be more wrong. Don't think that you can prioritize every extracurricular or leisure activity only participating in the life of the body maybe once or twice a month and think that you're raising kids who will somehow embrace the kingdom of God because you say it's important. Galatians says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will reap. And nowhere is that more true than in parenting. But Joseph was obedient. When he knew what to do, he didn't delay in doing it. Can you and I say the same? He knew that mere lip service wouldn't work if he were to please God and to raise Jesus the way he was supposed to. Some of you might think you're doing pretty good because you have Christian music playing in the car. You say grace at dinner. But God is calling you and I, Dad, to something completely courageous. Men are supposed to be courageous, and he's calling us to be bold and courageous. He's calling us to genuine, sacrificial obedience in every area of our lives, in our morality, our time, our finances, our entertainment, our relationships, our marriages, and yes, in our parenting. Radical obedience. Samuel gave these devastating words to Saul at the end of his, his, of his anointing as the king, he said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To be, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, which is witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, which is making yourself and your desires God. So willing to serve in humble obscurity, to be just, to be sensitive to God's voice, and to be obedient may honestly seem like a tall order to you. 
if I can be completely honest with you, it's a huge order for me. You may feel completely discouraged by all the times you failed to be the kind of a dad that the job requires. Uh, Maybe even this morning you heard things that make you feel like you can never do what is needed to be a godly dad. But I want to tell you, look you right in the eyes. I wish I could look at all of you at the same time. But I want to look at you and tell you this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. See, God didn't choose Joseph because he was some spiritual rock star. And guess what? He didn't choose you or I either for that reason. Thank God, right? Right? Joseph had decided that he would pursue the character traits we saw this morning long before he needed them. So he did so. This is how he achieved the things that we read about this morning. He wasn't any better or worse than you or I. This is how he did it, through two things, repentance and supplication. We talk about repentance a lot around here at Northridge Life. It's not a shameful word. You know, sometimes you get these turn and burn messages that that people grab you by the throat and demand repentance. That's not what repentance is at all. It simply means that when we realize that we're pursuing something that's destructive, that we turn back to the light of Jesus. Repentance isn't so much about turning away from something. It's about turning to someone. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that conquer a lot of bad behaviors through willpower or through you know, hypnosis or whatever else. So that's not repentance. Repentance means that I turn away from whatever that thing is and I turn to Jesus. That's repentance. No one can be the dad they need to be with a, without a lot of free-flowing repentance. I don't know about you, Dad, but for me it's every single day. That's a lie. For me, it's multiple times every single day. We repent to our wives and to our children. Some of you I know are raised to think that to tell your children you're sorry is a sign of weakness. No offense, but you couldn't be more wrong. It communicates to your kids, strengthen your commitment to them and to their happiness and to their eternal welfare to say, hey, I blew it, I was wrong. But mostly, even more than our kids, our wives, anybody else, mostly we repent to God when we find ourselves away from his very best for us. While this may, according to Second Corinthians, this may include a godly sorrow, genuine godly sorrow, it's not primarily about groveling, oh God, I'm such a dirtbag, you know, I don't know how you could even look at me. It's not about vow making, God, I promise you, if you'll just forgive me, I will do this, that, and the other. What it's about is desperately returning. I know I've already said this, but I want to emphasize this point, that it's about returning to the grace that we so desperately need and that is so readily available from our Father. I said that repentance and supplication were required. Supplication is a big word that means the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. God loves to give what is needed to his children. Dad, don't you? Don't you love to do that? God loves to give what is needed to his children. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is James 1.5. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, 
and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. What a comfort that is. You can go to God with all of your parenting garbage, and you can say, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. For some of you, that's what repentance would look like. To say, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I need wisdom. And when you ask, he promises in his word that he will give it to you. You can't serve in obscurity or lead justly or clearly hear uh, or, or willingly obey without asking for God's help. These things are absolutely contrary to our inner nature. We'll never do it without God's help. Anybody discovered the truth of that this morning? But if we humble our pride and earnestly desire that God help us, he will. If we ask him, he will supply what is needed. Because no matter what we're trying to be, no matter how much improvement we're trying to make in our fathering, guess what? He's already the perfect father. When my children were younger, they're all adults now. When my children were younger, I told them at one time, in a moment of honesty, I said, Guys, here's a, here's a sad fact. I want to be the best dad that I can be for you. But there is coming a moment where the strength of my fathering will absolutely fail. It will absolutely fail. But I've got good news for you, sons. That's all I had was sons. So I've got good news for you, sons. I'm, I'm planning on turning you over to a father who will never fail you who will absolutely never be less than what you need, and perfectly so. No matter what we want to be, God is the absolutely perfect Father. He lavishes on His kids what they need, when they need it, and never denies them what is in their best interests. So what I want to ask you to do right now, every single person, male, female, young, old, I want everybody in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody, please don't look around. This is a tender moment. And I want to ask you, Dad, sometimes in, when, we're, when we're in a group like this, uh, it's hard for guys to be honest. That's why I want to do you the favor of asking everybody in here to close your eyes and bow your heads. And please listen to what I'm saying on that. I don't want anybody looking around. So, so guys, essentially, you're all alone in a room with me. I'm the only one. How many of you would say that you need some help with your fathering today? That, that things are, are not going maybe in some areas like you hope they were, but there's, there's other areas where you need more grace or you need more wisdom or you need more strength. Or would you just do a really brave thing and raise your hand as high as you can? I'm the only one looking around, I promise. Anybody else? Come on, you're not alone, Dad. Anybody else here that would confess that? I promise I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I'm not going to make you you know, stand up here and recite the Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that. Just if you need God's help, just raise your hand up high. All right, thank you, guys. What I want to do is I want to ask, so no one knows who raised their hand. Some did, some didn't. I want to ask now every single dad in here to just stand up. I don't care if your kids are at home or gone or whatever. If you are a father, I want you to stand up. And here's what I want you to do. Look around, guys. Look around, ladies and other people in this room, kids, that, that, uh, at this group of people. And I want you to make your way 
to somebody. I don't want anybody alone this morning. I want to pray for these guys. Their job is incredibly tough. And so if you're the spouse or the child, certainly go to your own father, your own husband. But we're going to pray for these guys this morning. And, and so go ahead, start moving. Just find somebody that you're going to pray for. And then look around. If, if there's three people with that guy, then go to somebody that doesn't have anybody. I want everybody prayed for this morning. So look around the room. We'll give you some time. Come on. Make sure everybody's got somebody. Praise God. All right. Let's pray. We're going to pray because here's what I want us to do. All of us as dads, but especially if you raise your hand, I want us to do the things that I talked about. Repent and supplication, which means asking. And so what I want to give you the freedom to do right now is I want you to just say in your own words, Dad, that that you're turning back to Jesus. Not, not so much turning away from something. That will come just naturally when you turn to Jesus. But I want your emphasis, your focus to be on the fact that you are turning towards Jesus. And that's going to look different for some of you. Some of you will have steps of obedience like Joseph did that you'll need to follow through with. Others of you, uh, it'll look different. But, but I want you to be willing to do whatever the Lord lays on your heart right now to turn to Jesus. Not just for your own benefit, although it's going to hugely benefit you, but for the benefit of your own children. And then I want you to think about where the area of weakness is in your own fathering. Whether you need more wisdom, more patience, more encouragement, more uh, you know, discipline, whatever it is, I want you to, to acknowledge that. And then I want you to ask God, because just like with wisdom, God will give you what you need. And Dad... Son, daughter, if you know what they need, this isn't a time to shame them, but if you know what they need, pray that. Pray it silently if you have to, but pray that they would have what they need to be able to, to uh, do the job, this, this important, all-important job that God has called them to do. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the dads that are here in this room, Lord. God, we know that we are just a pitiful, sorry representation of, of the kind of dad that you are, Lord. But we also know that that's no excuse because you have given us everything we need, Lord. Starting with the fact that you called us to be the father of that son, that daughter. They are not a cosmic accident. Our parenting of them is not a cosmic accident. Lord, you called us to this. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just right now... Just enable us and equip us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, there are many of us here who have made mistakes. We've sinned, God. We've been too harsh or too lazy or too busy. Or, or we, we haven't pursued godly things. And so, God, we look at that right now and we just realize our hearts are flooded with joy as we realize that you're better. You're better than whatever we've been chasing or stumbling over, you're better. And so God, right now, as an act of repentance, we turn back toward you, God. And we rejoice in the fact that you are a father who always pours out mercy on your kids. God, would you make us like that? And so God, knowing that you have received us in our repentance, we now ask, Lord God, for the things we need, more patience, more joy, 
more wisdom. Whatever it is, God, we ask you for that thing. God, enlighten our hearts, Lord God. Help us to not be deceived by our own pride. Show us what we need by, from you, Lord God, and to receive it with open hands and joyful hearts because you are not a God who denies us what we need to do, what we're called to do. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we ask that you would now just do a work in us, Lord. God, let our, our parenting be infused with grace, guided by the gospel, filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to begin to cast a better future for our children and to point them to Jesus. We thank you for all of this because you're a good God, a great Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
blessings I retrace. It seems as if the eternal days are far too short to sing His praise. Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the Grace that brought me to the fold of Grace that brought me to the fold of 